when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is God's word. And so how I'm going to do that is I'm going to be reflecting on Ephesians 2, then eventually getting into what does that mean for us as priests. So Ephesians, as we have heard, is a letter that was written most likely by Paul. And it was a letter that was, it was to the church of Ephesus, but it was more than that. It was to the churches around a particular area in Turkey, in modern-day Turkey today, along the coast of the Aegean Sea. So this letter was literally circulated. It was passed on from one church to another. And the churches are facing different things. Okay? But somehow through the Holy Spirit, as that letter is passed on from one church to another, it's like, you know, the WhatsApp group. You know, you get a news feed. That's the way it was. It was constantly ding, 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 all across that sea, uh, that area of Turkey. And the Holy Spirit was convicting people. The Holy Spirit was comforting people. And the Holy Spirit was challenging people to be the church. Be who we are. Be who we are in Christ Jesus. You will remember how we began. I don't even know if we should call 2020 20 plenty anymore, but anyway, 2020, you will remember when we began, there was an anchor that was here and the rope was over here. You will remember the demonstration that was beautifully portrayed by the young men and, and women of, of Jesus being the forerunner of anchoring us so that we will one day be at shore. You remember that? And we were reminded that the anchor was quite big, but there are bigger anchors. But we were reminded that when we are anchored in hope, we're anchored in Christ. And therefore, shore is guaranteed, no matter the storm.
Paul is writing to this early church a group of young believers in Christ Jesus. They're very young. They're diverse, multicultural, multi-ethnic. They have different backgrounds, different tra traditions. And Paul is writing them, and he's reminding every one of them. He is saying, remember at one time you were without an anchor. You were without an anchor. And he, just, he talks about what that is like, being without an anchor. Dead in your transgressions. Following after the prince of the air. <laughs> Following after the spirit of the age. Cravings, these cravings, these appetites, these addictions, we continue to chase after. And actually, what this is like is what a, today there's a Christian leader that speaks about this. He speaks about floating along. And Paul says, every one of us at one time was floating along in life. floating farther and farther away from who we are as the children of God. Floating farther and farther away in separation from God. Farther and farther away from being anchored, from being rooted from our true self. And the powerful thing that Paul does is he says, that's all of us, including me. You'll see it there. He says, we were like this. Paul himself. We were like this. At one time, we just floated along. Our family, we've lived in Africa now for coming on 15 years. I don't know if I shared this with you. Did I share this with you, what Nico was taught in Nigeria? Did I share this with you? And Nico says, yes, I remember. Nico was studying Bible class, okay, in Nigeria. The curriculum of the Bible class was the same curriculum that was being used at a, at a school in another part of the world. I don't want to say where that part of the world is. But it was the same curriculum the exact same material. And so when Nico was the, in this other part of the world and he was studying the same curriculum, and, and we said, Nico, what are you learning you know, in school? And he said, in school I'm learning about Jesus. I said, that's great. But isn't that the same curriculum that you're using in Nigeria? He says, yes, but in Nigeria we learned about the devil. Hi. As Africans, we specialize in the devil, eh? 
We know the devil very well. <laughs> and sometimes with the spirits, with the spirit of the age, we point at the devil because we want to remove responsibility from ourselves. Remember when the devil, that crafty one, was working on Jesus in the desert, in the wilderness? Remember, bow to me and all of it will be given to you. What he's doing, what the devil does is he points us back to ourselves. You bend to me, you're bending to your own desires, you're bending to your own self-centeredness, you're bending to your own pride, you're turned inward. You're not looking out for God, you're certainly not looking out for others. That's what the devil does. That's what deceit is. Deceit is bending us back to ourselves. Curved in toward ourselves. That's what sin is. Sin is following after what? Me, myself, and I. That's what it is. And we do this all the time. I think even, even today, even today as we're coming into church, we do not come into church to give up. We come into church to get. Just feed me, worship team. Yo! Feed me. And when we're, when we're not fed, certainly not the worship teams, or certainly not my fault, it's the worship team's fault. Do we come to church to release? Do we come to church to give? Do we come to church to give up, to let go? Or do we come because it's all about us? And I'm speaking specifically of Egoli, of Joburg. There are very few people that are in Johannesburg and not hustling for something. We're after something. I mean, even the relationships that we are in, the relationships that we are in, it's, it's not because, you know, I care about you. It's because I want something from you. We use people all the time. I, I do this. I find it within myself. This conversation suddenly turns from something that is life-giving to something that is going to feed my own ego, my false self. Because I know my wound, and I'm constantly trying to satisfy it. Floating along, chasing, pursuing, trying to satisfy these cravings. Is that not Joburg? Or am I confused? 
I mean, you can even look at the design of our cities. Our cities basically are designed to feed certain people and not others. To satisfy the desires of certain people and not others. I was just in Istaras yesterday. Istaras is a is a township outside of uh, outside of Pretoria, and we were reflecting on the city. And they said Istaras only exists because of Pretoria. <laughs> it's just a wound. It's just a scar. We were there just to feed the industry, and you can see the the wreckage in the buildings today. Industries that are no longer there. People that are completely feeling as if they've been abandoned and forgotten. Oppressed, abandoned, and forgotten is what someone said to me. Yo! Paul changes the focus at verse 4. You can see, you can, if you have it in your Bible, you can even circle it. But, but God is the passage. But God, because of his great love for us, God, in his rich mercy, did something. God, in his... Great mercy because of his grace. What Paul is trying to do is he's trying to articulate the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's reminded them who they once were, and he's saying, now, no longer are you there. No longer are you just floating along, people of God. The letter begins with the holy people of God. No longer are you just floating along, but you are anchored in Christ. You're not alone. You are not forgotten. You are not abandoned. And as he's talking about the gospel, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus does the exact opposite of how we live. We live me first. Jesus lives, no, you first. It's for your life that I gave up. It's for your life that I went to the cross. Grace is... Grace is getting what we do not deserve. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve punishment. We don't get it. We get life. We deserve death. We don't get it. We get life and life abundantly in Christ Jesus, as Paul repeatedly reminds us, in Christ Jesus. But the question is, is can we come empty-handed? Can we say, yes, I receive that in Christ Jesus. I receive that gift of life. Or do we continue to try to hold on to our control, to our own authority? Or can we say, no, you are the authority. 
You are the one who knows best for us as a family, as a community. The passage continues, And God raised us up in Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It's powerful, this passage. I, I, I don't know Setswana or Chivenda. I don't know those languages. But in English... This passage is very powerful because it's the past tense. It's already done. And God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. It's already done. So how does this work? Am I in the heavenly realms right now? I'm here. I'm here. I think I'm here. Oh, I can't touch my face. I think I'm here. I'm pretty sure I'm here. So, so what is Paul getting at? I mean, you're here, right? I don't think, okay, we had to sanitize our hands today. So I'm pretty sure that the virus could be here because humans are here. We're here. So what is Paul getting at here? If it's past tense, how can this be? How can this be that we are seated in the heavenly realms? How can this be that we are raised up with Christ? Paul is getting at something very technical, which is so powerful if we can receive it. Especially in South Africa. There's honor and shame. We know about this. I mean, the video was talking a bit about that. The shame that we carry because many of us do not know the love of the Father. Paul says, you now, right now, you have a place of honor at the right hand of the throne of the Father in Christ Jesus. It's already done. It's official. It's legal. The price has been paid in full. You are fully covered. Imagine if we started to approach life with that sense of honoring, of realizing, yo, I already have a seat at the throne of God. What does that mean for us? Legally, it's already done. We sang about a place in the Father's house. The place in the Father's house for us already is that we are in His presence. Legally, it's done. And the reason why we know that it's done is because Jesus, already in Luke 9, 51, he started to look toward Jerusalem, and he said, not for me, but for them. Not my will, but your will. And he faced that road all the way. When he's scorned, when Jesus is scorned, he says, not for me, but for us. 
for the people then, for the people in the future, for the ancestors long ago. Abraham. We'll talk about Abraham. For 14 chapters, Jesus said, not my will, but yours. Not for me, but for them. All the way to the skull, Golgotha. Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. It's for you. It's for me that Jesus did this. Beaten. Becoming a criminal. Jesus is saying, it's not your life, it's mine. I'm giving this for you. Imagine if we could live in this way. Paul uses a powerful word of what it's like to understand being at the right hand of the Father, legally, officially, guaranteed already, is we start to live in a way that is completely different than the world. And he uses a word of boasting. Boasting is not bragging. Bragging is, I did something, therefore I'm going to tell you about it. Boasting is something different. It's, I don't know, it's, who, who, who played sport here? Anyone play sport? Okay, some people play sport. Who watches sport? I, at the Shabin, okay? You don't have to tell me if you watch the Chiefs and the Pirates at the Shabin. But at the Shabin, the game starts before the game. The game starts before the game. People are gathered. People are talking. Yo, 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 this one. Hey. You know, the keeper. Very strong keeper. You know, our coach, our coach is better than your coach. Our plays, the speed, we're, our foot. Everything is boasting before the game. And people would do that during war as well. Boasting is, is what happens, you know. Psalm 20 says, the, what does it say? I trust in the name, we trust in the name of the Lord, not horses and chariots, right? It's not by the horses or the chariots, but by the name of the Lord. Boasting gives us the confidence to face something very, very challenging. Boasting gives us the confidence that we can remain anchored in Christ and face the day. We can face today. When we're anchored in Christ, there's a sense that we are deeply at peace. There's contentment. There's rest. The chase is over. We have confidence in Christ and Christ alone. And therefore, whenever we are going about our life, wherever we go about our life, we do not represent ourselves. 
Because we are anchored in Christ, we become priests. We are priests to each other, but we also are priesting. It's a verb. So I was thinking about who, who is one of the first priests that we know of in the Bible? You will remember the story of Abraham. And Abraham is visited by three visitors. And he's in the presence of God. And when Abraham is in the presence of God, he's given the opportunity to priest, to be a priest. And as he's doing that, it's quite dynamic as to how he priests. You remember what was happening He's in the presence of God, and then he approaches. It's interesting. He's in the presence of God, and then he approaches God, is, is what the passage says. That approaching is getting at the throne of God. It's coming into the, into the courtroom. It's coming up to the judge and getting close like an advocate, standing on behalf of other people. And who does he stand on behalf of? He's trying to work this out as a priest. What does it mean to be a priest? It means that you don't represent yourself, but you, you represent the people. You bring people before God. And so what, what Abraham is doing is he's bringing people before God, and he's saying, don't, don't destroy Sodom. Don't do it. And then he starts to negotiate. You will remember. Uh, if, if there's 50 people, if there's 50 righteous people, Lord, please do not destroy the city, the whole city. Do not destroy it. And God says, yeah, if there's 50 people, I will not destroy it. And then Abraham does a bit of a gut check, <laughs> checks himself, being anchored in God. <laughs> what does it mean to be anchored in God? Okay. Please don't be angry with me, but maybe there's 45 or, or five less than 50. Then will you spare the whole city? You see what the priest does? The priest is holding justice and righteousness and trying to say, okay, how do we weigh this out? God is righteous. God is just. Yeah. If there's five less than 40, or five less than 50, yeah, sure. I'll spare the whole city. Okay. Priesting is not easy work. 40. What about 40? Yeah. If there's 40 righteous, I'll do it. I'll spare the whole city. 30? Yeah. Genesis 18, yeah, 30. I'll spare the city. 20. Yeah. There's 20. 20 righteous people. I'll spare the city. And then he gets to the point of 10. What if there were only 10? And God said, yes, 
for the sake of ten righteous ones, I'll spare the whole city. But then something happens. Abraham, he goes home. <laughs> Why would he go home? Because he knows that at that point, he's no longer concerned about the city. He's only concerned about his family. Lot's there. Lot's family is there. Those are relatives of Abraham. But what Abraham did not know that all of us know is that it's not just ten. It's for the sake of one. One righteous person. I'll save the whole world. I'll save people. The whole cosmos, the whole universe, I'll take care of it. Being anchored in Christ means that we can priest on behalf of the whole city. We can priest on behalf of the whole world. If anything, the coronavirus is doing, it's very interesting. Some people are turning inward, but others are giving up. It's unbelievable. People are giving up their lives for this. As a church, we are a priesthood of believers. God spares us because of one. How can we be a community that priests among each other, but also priests in the city of Johannesburg, this great city of Johannesburg? We sit at a very fascinating location. We sit at Capital and Cosmo. I'm not going to say what kind of capital, but capital and Cosmo City. We're there. Four-way Santon over there. Cosmo City, Zen Sprite over here. What does it mean for us to be priesting as the people of God? Confident that we're already at the throne of grace in the name of Christ Jesus. Recognizing that we have the strength, the courage, the compassion to serve outside of ourselves for Christ's sake. Amen.